Christmas is the time for searching. I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you searching for this Christmas? Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. It doesn't matter if what you see makes no sense at all. It doesn't matter if your circumstances don't look like anything that you can believe in. It only matters that you believe that God knows what He's doing. Well, the presents have all been unwrapped. The leftovers are in the fridge and another Christmas has come and gone. Was it everything you expected? Did you find everything you had hoped to find under the tree? Sometimes the reality of Christmas looks much different than what we thought it would be. In their wildest dreams, when they left wherever it was they left from, the east, I don't believe they in their wildest dreams ever thought that they would end up in a very ordinary little town inside of a very ordinary little house looking at a very ordinary looking little baby. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Sometimes the reality of Christmas looks much different than we thought it would be. For a group of travelers who came in search of the Christ child that first Christmas, the events that unfolded probably were a lot different than they thought they would be. The stargazers found in Matthew chapter 2 came in search of the one born king of the Jews. Their search was, in some ways, probably much less than they thought it would be, and in some ways, much more. Who would have ever thought you would find a king in such humble surroundings? Who would have ever guessed the outcome? Well, today on Crosswalk, we're going to read again that wonderful story of the Magi and discover why they don't call them wise men for nothing. Two days past Christmas. Hope you got whatever it was you wanted. Um, you probably got more than you deserved anyway, uh, no matter what it was. But, um, you know, Christmas time is uh, a time of searching. I was thinking about some of the stuff that, that we search for at Christmas time, right? How many of us put up with the, uh, the endless hours at, at the mall or the traffic or the shoulder to shoulder? people passing by us in different ways because we're in search of that, that perfect gift that, that we have in mind, that perfect gift that, that we want to give to someone who means so much to us. It's a time of searching. We search for the, the Christmas tree that's just the right shape. My wife took care of that this year when she bought us an artificial one, but uh, we, we search for that Christmas tree that's just the right shape. We search for that that one stupid blown bulb on the strand that we can't find? <laughs> we search for our Christmas music to play, our, our Christmas sweater to wear. We search for the after Christmas sales to shop. <laughs> Christmas is the time for searching. I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you searching for this Christmas? I know it's two days past, and, and I know 2010, that seems almost unbelievable. I was telling somebody the other day, I, I, I just, it seemed like yesterday that everybody was hoarding water and canned goods and stuff because it's Y2K. Wouldn't it be funny if it turned out that, that, that the computer guys missed it by one decade? It's actually 2010, we're going to lose everything. <laughs> what are you searching for this Christmas? Uh, 2,000 years ago, there were a group of travelers that went in search of something, or better yet, someone. These, uh, these stargazers, these pilgrims from the east, I want to 
go to that passage of Scripture today. I want to go to Matthew chapter 2. I want to look at these stargazers and the journey that they had. And I want us to see if there are, if there are some things in, in their journey that we can learn about what a genuine search for Christ looks like. I'm asking the question today, what are you searching for? As we get ready to jump off into a new year, we come to the close, what are you searching for in your life? So come along to Matthew chapter 2 as we find out what a genuine search for Christ looks like and as we discover why they don't call these guys wise men for nothing. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Everybody with me this morning? All right. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. I just wanted this morning to share with you what I think are these, these four views of what a genuine search for Christ looks like. I'm asking you this morning, what are you searching for this Christmas? You may be here and already in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be here and you may just be just, just pondering this whole thing or, or trying to figure out whether this whole church thing or Jesus thing is, is even worth your time. You, or you may be anywhere in the middle. But I believe that almost all of us are searching for something in our lives. What are you searching for? Well, let me tell you. How these guys, what happened as a result of what they did and what they found. Let's talk about a genuine search for Christ. Here's the first idea that I want you to get a hold of this morning. If you'd like to take notes, there's an outline on the back of your your, uh, information sheet, you can do that. A genuine search for Christ, first and foremost, is initiated by Him. This is important, ladies and gentlemen. Let me read it to you again, verse 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east 
and have come to worship him. Who are these guys? We don't know. Not really. There's, there's been speculation. There's tradition. But, but we don't really know who they were. How many of them were there? Three, right? Right? Everybody knows that. Well, not really. <laughs> the tradition has been that there were three because there were three types of, of gifts that were presented to the Christ child. But the truth is, we really don't know how many of them there were. Some scholars believe that these uh, men were part of an ancient religion known as Zoroastrianism uh, because of their interest in, in study of the stars, which was, which was part of the belief system of Zoroastrianism. I, I don't know whether that's true or not. What I do know is that they came from a far way, a long way off. Now, all the text tells us is that they came from the east. Well, I don't know if you've looked at a map of that part of the world lately, but the only thing to the east of Israel for a very long way is the Syrian desert. Some people believe they uh, came out of the, uh, the old Babylonian Empire, probably somewhere around 600 miles that they traveled to get to where they were. Some people speculate that they came from a distance even farther away, part of the old Persian Empire. It's possible that they came as far as over 1,000 miles in search of this one. It, it, was not, it would not be a, a short trip even by today's standards, right? You jump, jump in a vehicle 1,000 miles. My, my brother-in-law and, and nephew are here today. They just drove Christmas Day left and head out to Ohio to go get a, a motorcycle. I can understand their motivation, but still, it's a, all the way to Ohio and, and back. It, it wouldn't be a short trip even by today's standards. I, I think about even when our kids were little and, and just packing for five people to go to Grandma's house a few hundred miles away. For just one week, traveling on interstate, Chevy Astro van, these guys were going to be gone possibly as long as two or three years. Can you imagine the logistics of what it would take to prepare for something like that? And listen, they may have been in a caravan, but it wasn't a Dodge. Some people would say, well, that explains why they got there. <laughs> no. Sorry, I'm a Chevy man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no offense to you Dodge people, it's good. What I want you to see is that it was God who did this thing. It was God that, that stirred this thing up in the first place. It was God who had given the ancient predictions, Numbers twenty four seventeen, that had spoken of the star that would rise out of Jacob. And it was God that apparently had, had in some way made it possible for these stories to be told, for, to be foretold to them that this king would come. And it was apparently God that had stirred their hearts to want to get their act together and set out on this journey that would that would cause them to invest so much of their lives. For what? Because a star showed up? Because there's some king of the Jews? They're not Jewish. They didn't. It was God that initiated this work. It was God that began this thing. Man, God is always initiating. Some, some of you perhaps have heard me tell before how, how God really got a hold of my life. But, but I just want to share it again because it, it just... See, I were married and we had... I don't know if we had all three kids by that point, but we, were, we had a couple kids, and we were, you know, we're just doing our thing, and I, I'm really not a, whole, a lot interested in the whole God thing, and, you know, it's all right, but I've been raised in church, but now, you know, one day I'm, I'm going to work, and, and uh, I told you all, I think last week that we lived out in the, down this long dirt road, and I was going to work, and, and I was running real late, and I, I had a uh, 1972 Datsun 240Z. <laughs> Uh, don't, it wasn't as nice as it sounds, believe me. <laughs> Needed a lot of work. 
And I was late for work. I had to be to work at or like 5 o'clock in the morning or something. And I was late for work. And so I tore out down there. And in, in uh, you know, south middle Florida area, it can be really foggy sometimes. In the morning. It was super foggy that day. And I was flying down that dirt road because I'm late for work. And I've got to get going. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, I've driven enough times that even though it's, I can't see past the end of that 240Z, which had a pretty long nose, I couldn't see past the end of that thing. But so, you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm fine. I've got to get, I've got to hurry. I'm late. I'm guessing at where the stop sign is to where this road intersects with a major highway, 441. And I'm guessing, you know, I, I misguessed. And I see the stop sign out my pasture side window is when, I, was when I see it. And I slam on the brakes. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. S- slide to a stop right dead smack in the middle of 441. Major highway as far as for, for truck routes, truck traveling. And, I, and I'm sitting there. And, the, you know, it's like the, almost this surreal thing, right? It's like fog all around, you know, dust from where I slid on the brakes. And I'm stopped there. And I'm sure I wasn't stopped for more than, than two or three seconds before I came to my senses. But it seemed like a long time. You know, y'all ever been with it? What it just seems like? And it seemed like I was just sitting there. Now, left to itself, I would have just said, Oh, let's get out of here and put it but, but I come to this stop and everything. And, and God just spoke into my life. I, not, I'm just, I don't know if that sounds weird to you or not, but I'm telling you, just spoke into my life in that instant. Here's what he said. Here's what he said. You're dead. Well, those weren't the nicest words I ever heard. <laughs> That's all. You're dead. But I wasn't, so I put it in gear, and I tore out, and I, and I went to work. I had thoughts, and you're dead. So, it's been a long time. But it, it, it was, I don't think it was the same day, but it was in the next two or three days, I'm going home from work. Traveling 441 again. It's in the afternoon. It's in the evening. And as I'm going down the road, here comes this car. And, you know, you ever have a car coming to you and he's not paying attention, he's kind of easing over to your side, and you start thinking, okay, you know, hurry up or get over, or, come on, buddy. Well, this, you know, the closer we got, this guy is getting closer and closer and closer. And I, I, I finally, I have to drive off the road. I have to get completely off the road into the grass, and we're both going a pretty good rate of speed. And as this guy goes, comes by me and Again, y'all probably think I'm crazy, but I could see this guy's face. It was almost like his face was in slow motion as he went by. But, it, but I see this guy's face, and there's this just totally wild look on this guy's face. Eyes wide open, just, ah, and uh, kind of freaked me out a little, got to tell you. But again, I, I swing the car over, and, there's, and you know, our car doors, the, ah, so close. And God spoke again. And he said, that's two. How many times do you think you're going to get away with this? How many times? Now, I, listen, I, I am just silly enough to believe that God was using those events in my life to begin to initiate something in me that began, because from that moment on, I began to think about my, my mortality and my eternity in ways that I hadn't thought about it in at least a very, very long time. Listen, God initiates work in our lives. It was God who came to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they had sinned. They weren't looking for God. You remember, they were hiding from him. It was God to get, that came to Abram in Ur. It was God that came to Jacob at Bethel. It was God that came to Moses in the burning bush. 
it was God that came to Saul on the road to Damascus. It was God that came to me. I wasn't looking for God. I was living my life, doing what I want to do. But can I tell you something? God desires to save us from a life of uselessness and desires to save us from an eternity of damnation and to bring us into a right relationship with him and that we might have eternal life and have it more abundantly than we ever thought possible. I, I, don't, I don't know how that makes you feel, but that is very humbling to me to think that God would reach out to me. I've talked to uh, several missionaries that serve in parts of the world where there is not a widespread opportunity to have access to God's word. And I have had several of them tell me of people in their particular part of the world, their particular people group, who have come into a relationship with Jesus, who told them that Jesus came to them in a dream at night, just, out of, just came to them in a dream. And told them who to go meet, at what shop, at what place. And, and I've heard, he's, it's, and it's like, no way, I can't. God is the one that initiates this work. Now I say that to you to say this, that if, if you're here today and you're out of relationship with Jesus Christ, and you may think, well, someday, yeah, I, I think I'll, I, I might do that one of these days. No, you won't. God works in your heart and your life, and when he works, you better be ready to move. Now listen to me. Not everybody agrees with me about this. I do believe that man has a free will. I do believe that man can, can, can resist God's moving in their life and can even reject God's gift of eternal life. But God is the one that does this thing. He initiates it. So whatever you're searching for, know this. God is initiating things in your life that would draw you to him into a deeper level and walk with him. Here's the second idea that I want you to get a hold of this morning. It's initiated by him, and it is orchestrated by him. And there is a difference. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, okay, God maybe kind of got, no. He didn't just get it going. God's orchestrating this thing. Watch this in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. We'll talk about that in a minute. And all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And then they quote it. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child, and when you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Verse 9, after hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. God not only initiates a search for him, he's orchestrating these events. It made sense for the Magi to go to Jerusalem, right? That was the capital of Israel. You would always go, if you're, expect, if you're going in search for, for a king, it would make sense to go to the capital of that particular nation. It made sense for them to go to Jerusalem. It made sense... For them to go to the, to the capital. I'm sure they kind of draw attention to themselves when they came into town anyway. When Herod hears about it, Herod and the whole town gets very nervous. With good reason. Herod was a ruthless tyrant. Add into that the fact that he happened to be very paranoid. Herod thought that everybody was out to get him. Herod had some of his own family members put to death. Some of his own children. 
because he felt that they were a threat to his rule. This was not a nice guy. It's reported, listen to this, it's reported that when Herod was nearing the end of his life, he was so sure that the people would celebrate his death that he ordered the execution of several hundred Jews to ensure the fact that on the day of his death there would be mourning rather than singing. This was not a nice guy. So when Herod gets word that there's a new king in town, everybody gets nervous. Because Herod doesn't need much of an excuse to start chopping off heads. But God is orchestrating. God is working. Do you see this? It was God who had given the prophecy to Micah, Micah 5, 2. Several hundred years before the birth of Christ, God said specifically where the Messiah would be born. God used, used Micah. It was God that used the, the scribes and, and the religious leaders to study and to read the prophecy so that they've got the answer when Herod comes to them and says, hey, hey, uh, these guys showed up and they said there's a new, new king coming. You guys know anything about this? Oh, yeah, Herod, we know about it. Micah 5, 2. Well, there it is right there. God, used, God even used wicked Herod to tell the Magi where they could find the Christ child. I think it's pretty cool, too, that God uses the the natural and the supernatural. He used ordinary word of mouth to pass along this information, and he also used a star. Oh, wait a minute. A star? Yeah, man. These guys, they had GPS. They had GPS when GPS wasn't cool. They had a God place star. Yeah, came up with that myself. (laughs) Now, maybe you're sitting there, because I've talked to people like this before. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, come on, come on. You're telling me that God sent a star, okay, this gaseous, combustible star to hang out over this place where this child is going to be. You're telling me God sent a star. It, maybe it's the way I think, but it always strikes me as funny that 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 people have such a hard time believing in a God who can do the supernatural. Listen, I got a problem with a God who can't do supernatural. I I don't, no offense, but I don't need a God that can't do supernatural. I can make a mess out of stuff on my own. I need a God that can supernaturally oversee anything and everything and and create circumstances that come out to the fulfillment of what God's plans and desires are for my life. God orchestrates the circumstances. I was thinking um, about, uh, last night I was thinking about the sale of one of our homes. Uh, I got some great real estate stories. You know, I don't know what it is with us in real estate, but I got some great real estate stories. when, 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 we were, when, when we were in Fayetteville, Georgia, the south side of Atlanta, I was going to school there, preparing for ministry at a little small little Bible college down there, Luther Rice. When I graduated, uh, we really felt like God wanted me to go to Southeastern up at Wake Forest, the greatest seminary in the world. <laughs> I like it. I, I do. Anyway, so I need to go to Southeastern. I want to go to Southeastern, but we got a house. and Well, we've got a house for sale, but our house hasn't sold. And back in those days, housing was very hard to come by at Southeastern. they got plenty of housing now, I think. But back then, it was very, very hard, and there was a waiting list. And, well, sure enough, uh, I got notified that, that my name had come up, and, and I could get some housing. But we haven't sold the house, and, you know, what, what, what are we going to do? Y'all ever been in those kind of situations? I don't, what? And, and the housing guy says, well, you can pass it up, but if you do, your name goes to the bottom of the list, and I don't know when you'll get housing again. So then I talked about it, and we prayed about it. We made the decision that, that I think I'd just go. 
And Cindy will stay, she's going to stay in Atlanta with the kids, and, and, I, and I'll go up there. And I, there I went, Toyota pickup truck, little, little uh, U-Haul. I had uh, a chair, a, a, a twin bed, and a microwave. I know I had those three things, because uh, it was going to be hard without that microwave. I can tell you that right now. And, and I went to seminary, January of 96, went, went to Southeastern. And there's Cindy and the kids still down there in Atlanta. And January came and went, and February came and went, and March came and went. And I, I was trying to remember, but I, don't, I can't remember if I, I think one time during that time I, I did come home for a weekend, uh, it, 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 for one time. And, and it was just, you know, we, Cindy and I, we really like each other. And we like hanging around each other. <laughs> and, uh, and I like hanging around the kids. And it was just hard. You, you know, have you ever been separated from your spouse? And, and it was just hard. And, and I miss the kids. And, and we, man, but there was nothing happening with the house. And was, I don't know. What, and then, so finally I said, all right, I'm coming home. Um, I'm going to get you. We're going to pack up and we're going to move. And, and we'll just, get, just have to trust God. Because we were trying to sell it. And, you know, we'd have to trust God. We'd have to just let him take care of all this. So I drive down. We uh, rent a big U-Haul. We pack up all day, all night. And, and uh, oh, it's about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. We've got the, the U-Haul is packed full. And Cindy is mopping the floors. It is, it is clean, buddy. Empty. Phone rings. 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Girl calls. She says, ah, sorry to call you so late. She said, but, but my fiance and I are getting married in a couple of months. And, uh, and we're looking to buy a house. And... She said, I know this sounds strange, but we were just driving around in neighborhoods, and we drove by uh, your place. We saw a sign in the yard, but we looked at your house, and we thought, oh, that's, that, we could never afford it. It was too much house. We couldn't afford that house. And so we drove by. She said, but for, for some reason, I, I, I made my, my fiancé stop. I made him back the car up so that I could write the number down. And she said, I, and I don't know why, but I just felt like I, I, I needed to call you tonight. So I said, yes, it's still available. <laughs> Uh, they, they, we're leaving tomorrow morning. I said, we're leaving tomorrow morning. They came over the next morning. It wasn't that, it wasn't that night. That we, they came over the next morning, signed a contract before we left town. Now, now, here, now here's the deal. It gets even better than that, in my opinion. When, when you're looking for how God is orchestrating circumstances, we get up there, you know, so we all move on up there. We get on up there. As soon as we get there, Cindy applies for a job at the seminary, just as the new a dean of students, Alan Mosley, is coming in, and his secretary uh, was just leaving. Just as she comes in there, and I, maybe on the very day that she applied, I can't, can't remember, but um, obviously, who wouldn't hire her, right? So uh, Alan, Alan hires her, and, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking, if, if, if we'd have gone in January, if we'd just all gotten up there in January, there's no way she gets that job, no way she gets any job at the seminary, there weren't any openings. And, I, and it's a whole long story about the, the doors that that opened and being... All I'm saying to you is, if you, if you will look and if you will say, God, what do you want for my life? What do you want to do for me? God will orchestrate the circumstances because sometimes we think, well, well how come God doesn't do that for me? God's got his reasons and God's got his purposes and God's got his timing. But I'm telling you, if you'll just look and if you'll just walk and if you'll just believe him, God will orchestrate those circumstances. Listen to me. It doesn't matter if you look at the circumstances. It doesn't matter if what you see makes no sense at all. It doesn't matter if if your circumstances don't look like anything that you can believe in. It only matters that you believe that God knows what he's doing. That's the only thing that matters. And God orchestrates the circumstances. Well, I got got to hurry, don't I? Let's, Let's get going. Third, genuine search for Christ culminates in worship of him. All right, you're searching, you're searching for God's uh, presence in your life, you're searching for his purposes in your life, it will result in worship. 
an understanding of who he is. Verse 10 and 11 look like this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. The Williams translation, I believe, says, thrilled with ecstatic joy, I guess. (laughs) After the hundreds, maybe thousands of miles that they have traveled, after the months, possibly years that it's taken for them to reach their destination, after all that was involved in the preparation and the process and the planning and the, and the traveling over dangerous roads and deserts and, and all of it, they, they've come face to face because of what God has orchestrated and made it possible for them. They've come face to face with the one that they've come in search of. And in that moment, all they can do is fall at their knees, fall at their knees and worship. I want you to notice something about the worship. Because these are characteristics, I believe, of worship. It involved both their position and their possession. They gave first of themselves. They bowed and worshiped. Which, by the way, may not have been that easy a task to do, if you think about it. Because I'm of the belief that in their wildest dreams, when they left wherever it was they left from, the east... I don't believe they in their wildest dreams ever thought that they would end up in a very ordinary little town inside of a very ordinary little house looking at a very ordinary looking little baby. That's it? This is what I came for? These people don't live in a house as nice as I live in. The clothes are, are plain and this is, is what, I, what I left my family for. This is what I invested all this time and energy and money for. This is what I came for. It would have been so easy to begin to say, I, I'm not... I'm not bowing down before this child. This is not the situation I expected. This is not what what I wanted. But they gave it themselves. They bowed. They prostrated themselves before the Lord God in worship. And they gave gifts. They gave of their possessions, which quite honestly, I think it's just a natural outpouring of of giving of yourself. If you give of yourself, that's what I said to you a while ago. I don't talk a lot about money around here. We'll discuss it in a, in a week or two when we, when we show you the budget for 2010, and, and I'll just, we'll just briefly and quickly go over all of that so that you guys will know it. But, but listen, can I tell you, I, I don't, it, if my position is right before God, meaning my heart, my life, my surrender to Him, if, 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 if I'm willing to bend my knee, bend my life to Him, I don't have to worry about my possessions. They'll just follow. Quite honestly, to me, it is thrilling to think that God would use what I give back to Him for His kingdom purposes. It's unbelievable to me. Some people have pointed out the the symbolism of the gifts that they gave. Gold symbolizing his royalty. Frankincense symbolizing his his purity. And the myrrh symbolizing the reason that he came. As I understand it, myrrh was one of the chief ingredients used in the embalming process. I I doubt if the magi understood all that. I, I think they just gave what they had. Because he was worthy to be worshipped. Can I tell you this? And I've been so blessed to have the opportunity to do this. And I, and I hope that many of you in the years ahead get the opportunity to do it with me as well. But I have worshipped all over this world. I've worshipped in tiny little grass huts 
with mud floors. I've, I've, I've worshipped in the open air. I've worshipped on, on mountaintops and in valleys. I've worshipped places where I didn't under, have a clue what language was being spoken. I didn't know any of the songs that were being sung. I didn't, wasn't even sure about the instruments that were being used. But I was able to worship because my circumstances will never determine for me the worthiness of my God to be worshipped. And when I search for him, and I'm searching for him with my life, and, 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 and he is the center, then it is a natural thing. Listen, Isaiah chapter 6, what happened? God, Isaiah comes into the presence of God, and all he can do is fall and worship. Revelation chapter 1, which we're going to be looking at uh, beginning next week. When John comes into the presence of the risen Lord, what, all he can do is fall and worship. Oh, to worship God, which is nothing more than recognizing his worthiness. It's, it's never been about me, and I pray it never will be. Because when I search for him and I come face to face with him, so to speak, it ought to result in worship of him. Now, one last uh, indicator of this genuine search for Christ, and it's this. It results in obedience to him. Do not miss this, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 12 And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. I'm going to tell you something. They've got every reason in the world to go back to Jerusalem from Bethlehem. It's not a far distance. That they, remember, they'd come from Jerusalem to begin with when they came from the east, and they'd, and they'd sent them down to Bethlehem. They have every reason in the world to go back to Jerusalem, not the least of which is Herod told them to, remember? And to get caught disobeying Herod could be bad for your health. Plus, right, they've got to make this trip again. Do you think Bethlehem has the provisions that they need? They've got to go five, six, seven, eight hundred, however many miles? Do you think you just... Just jump on a camel and take off? They need provisions. They need to stock up. They've got to get, they get ready to do this. They've got every reason in the world to go back to Jerusalem. They could have even rationalized. It's, you know, I'm probably thinking, well, goodness, here's the king of the Jews. The Jews need to know that their king has come. I need to go back to Jerusalem and tell the people there, hey, your king has been born so that they can bring him there and, and start worshiping. They've got every reason in the world to go back to Jerusalem and only one reason not to go back. And that's because God said, don't go back there. See, when, when you search for him and you come face to face with the living God, you got to be willing to change whatever direction you thought you were going or going to go or wanting to go. It results in obedience to him, to surrendering your will to God's will and say, okay, Lord, I, I would have wanted this or I thought this or I was, that. nevertheless, not my will, but your will. It results in obedience to him. Can I tell you this? You ever want to know whether a person is in relationship with the living God? You're not quite sure whether they go to child. Well, what? Just look at their life. It'll tell you a lot. I was visiting this man one time, and I shared the message of Jesus with him. How Christ came to, to, to be the pardon, the payment for our sins so that we could be pardoned. And adopted into the family of God. And that by faith, if we would trust in Christ, we could receive God's gift of eternal life. 
And, and when I shared the message of Jesus with this man, I, I asked him, would you like to receive God's pardon for your life? Would you like to confess your sins and invite Christ to come in and to be the Lord of your life? And the man said, says, yeah, I would like to do that. And I led the man in a prayer. And when we finished, I began to talk to him about what it means as a follower of Jesus to begin to, uh, to be a disciple of him. And I began to talk to him about believer's baptism being that, that first step of obedience upon profession of your faith in Christ to be baptized. And I began to talk to him about uh, the importance of getting plugged into to a church and, and growing in God's word. And I began to talk to him about studying God's word and learning what, what God's precepts and plans were for his life. And I began to share all these different things, just basic tenets of, of discipleship. And the man made it clear to me in no uncertain terms that he wasn't interested in any of that stuff. He, he wasn't getting baptized, didn't care about church, just never was his thing. And he's, now, I don't know, you tell me, did that man find Christ? A genuine search for Christ results in obedience to him, pure and simple. Now, listen to me carefully. I'm not saying that being baptized, going to church, Reading your Bible, I'm not saying that any of those things put you in right standing with God. The only thing that puts you in right standing with God is the shed blood of Jesus Christ made as atonement for your sins. And when you, by faith, reach out and accept that gift. Because no doubt someone perhaps would be thinking, well, the Bible says, all the Bible says is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Yes, but it is a belief that results in a life that is changed. I've told a number of people here lately that... that, that that it's become a, a much greater concern in my life than it, than it had been earlier in my life. I, I wish I'd been paying a little more attention earlier. It, it, it is understanding the balance between, between whosoever will let him come, and if any man would come after me, must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's both of those understandings. Because if I search for him, if I find him, and God works in my life, it will change my life. I think it changed their life. I, I don't know how. We don't know a thing about them after, after this. Never, never hear from them again. But they, they allowed God to work into their life to the place they were willing to respond to God's initiation and work. God orchestrated circumstances that brought them to the place where he was. They recognized him as king of the Jews. They bowed and they worshiped him and they obeyed what God revealed to them. They don't call them wise men for nothing. Their search brought them to a place that was probably much different than they thought it would be when they set out on their journey. But God had initiated and orchestrated this search and brought them face to face with the Savior of the world. No matter how different it may have been from what they thought it would be, they still fell at the feet of this child and worshipped him. No doubt they had plenty to talk about when they got back home. Some people probably thought they were crazy to take such a journey in the first place. But as we've seen today, because they followed God's will, they earned the title Wise Men. Cross Culture Church has a new home in Raleigh. We invite you to join us for our weekly cross-culture worship with upbeat, Christ-centered music and timely, encouraging biblical messages celebrating the goodness of our God and what it means to be in a relationship with Him. 
Cross Culture Church meets Sunday mornings at 1030 in the auditorium at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture, you'll find a community of believers with the desire to be used by God to show that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.